I'm Ira Popper, one of the pastors here at The Adventure. I'm glad you're here. If you're new, welcome. Uh, we have a, a real passion here to, uh, to see people come to faith in Christ uh, because we know that that's when we get set free. That's what we're talking about today is passionate evangelism. And uh, I got passionate first service. Hopefully I won't be as intense this service. <laughs> but... Um, you know, Mark's story is a great story, and it's a story that really kind of plays out into our, in our vision as a church. You know, we're, we talk about growing your life, and, and Mark came to faith in Christ. You know, he, he entered into that relationship with Jesus, and it was through just a little bit of love at Jesus Feeds. It was Susan, who, who's one of our team leaders in Jesus Feeds, that just loved up on him and invited him to come to church. And uh, what a difference it's made in his life and also our lives as well. And, um, you know, he, he went to Jesus Feeds and, and, and then he started getting, he came to faith in Christ and so he grew his life. Then he started realizing he can impact his world. And he got involved in the video department. He knew nothing about editing when he started. Now he's our, he's our head editor at our, at our church. We, we have to edit every single service that we put online. We make them look as good as we can. He even edited his video. So uh, it, it's a great thing that he's doing that. And then he's also serving in Jesus feeds. So it's kind of like a, a full circle thing. And then, of course, he blesses us. And we're encouraged. Look what God's doing. Aren't you excited about what God's doing? He's doing an amazing work in our midst. And, you know, if you know our history, you know that we've had some hard things lately. But we have to be reminded that God is still on the throne. And he is doing great things in our midst. And he is calling us to do the things that he has given us vision for life, world, and dream, that we would live out the dream that God has for us. We so desire to see every person here to live out God's dream for their lives. That is our vision. I don't know too many places that have you being the vision of the church. Usually when you go to a church and you say, hey, you know, what's your vision? It's, well, to do this, this, and this. Our vision is to do this. That's a cool thing, you guys that each one of us become all that God has called us to be. And I am a product of that. You know, I came to the church that started this church, a broken person. And because of the love and the care and the growing your life and, and, uh, and impacting the world that took place, I, I began living the dream that God has for me. And I knew what that dream was, but I didn't know how to get there. But God, step by step, led me there. So that's what we're about as a church. That's what our vision is. It's all over the walls. It's on the, in, the, in our bulletin, on our website. And today we're talking about one aspect of that, which is passionate evangelism. Passionate evangelism. This is a scripture that I, I shared with you last week when we... When we uh, talked as well about um, being connected in with the life of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just jump off from this one. So let's, uh, let, let me read that. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is where we left off before in the presence of God. This is where we left off before understanding the blessing of his goodness and understanding that he has set us apart. 
He has set us apart and given us distinguishing marks. What are those marks? That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are his children. We can cry out, Abba, Father. You ever do that? You're missing out if you don't call Daddy Abba. Because it is the most wonderful thing to know that you could jump into his spiritual lap and receive the love and the affirmation of our wonderful God in heaven and Father. There's nothing like it. We're living out those distinguishing marks. But then in this scripture on on the other side, something very profound happens. Here we are. We are distinguished that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But then it says that. And when it says that, it's saying that for a purpose. It's a very important purpose. It is a marker of purpose, according to the way the the Greek is written here. It is a marker of purpose. It's like a, a stake in the sand that says, you are this, and it's all about this. And what is this? This is declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does that look like? What does declaring his praises look like? I want to propose to you today that declaring the praises of God like that is what passionate evangelism is. That's what passionate evangelism is. You always thought passionate evangelism was making sure you got all your arguments right so that when somebody you know, complain to you about this or that in the Bible or this that they don't believe or that they don't believe, you have something to like defend yourself with, like God needs defense, right? He doesn't need to be defended. What if what you did was just proclaim the praises and declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? I mean, just think about it for a minute. Just think about the darkness that you were in. You should have some clarity about that. It is a dark place without God. And we are all faced with it. It is a terrible, terrible prospect to fall into the hands of God without experiencing his grace. And for him to take us out of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his son who he loves. Bring us into the light. There's nothing like it, you guys, is there? Is there? There's nothing like it. Passionate evangelism is what declaring these praises looks like. It is our adventure value. We have a strange way of looking at evangelism that it has to do with arguments and pretenses and um, um, things like that. But that's, that's, not how, that's not how somebody shared Jesus with me. You know how it happened? I was an anxious Jewish kid. That's redundant. Very Woody Allen-esque. In a cute way, not a rude way. That's just the way it is, you know? And, you know, it's kind of like a genetic gene. And 
I was very anxious and my anxiety was heightened more and more because my grandfather, who was my, my greatest hero, died when I was nine. And I was, I was so fearful. I became so fearful of death and so fearful of, of life that everything scared me. I had to go to a psychiatrist to try and get some help. I was afraid of eating out of cans because I thought I would die from botulism poisoning. And so my poor mom had to like make everything fresh for me. <laughs> That's the way I was. And we moved to California. I got involved with, with friends in, in high school when high school started. And, um, the, you know, the drama department's a big deal there. Theater arts down in Southern California. I got involved in that and made, made some good friends. And then I went away for the summer and went and worked at a summer camp with my aunt where I had some wonderful experiences that I, I couldn't wait to share with my friends. So when I came back, I, I said, you guys, I have something to share with you. And, uh, and, and they said, I have, they have something to share with me. And I thought, well, you know, me smoking marijuana and introducing it to my friends is going to be awful good, but I'll let them go first. So I let them go first and they told me that, that they had given their hearts to Christ and they had, they had been saved and I thought, I should have went first. <laughs> should have went first. I didn't know what that meant. I really thought what that meant was these guys are really going to bug me and I'm going to have to find some new friends. But they were loving. They didn't push it. I don't, we didn't even talk about it. The next time it came up, I was at a, um, uh, an all-state high school drama competition for solo acting, monologues. And there were thousands of, of kids there from high school at one of the universities. They all gathered together, kind of like a, like a football game, but it was for theater arts. <laughs> and I know it's a little strange, but that's all I know about football, so that's as far as I could go. And... And I got into the finals, and I wasn't even supposed to be in this competition because I was too young. I was a substitute. Last minute, they, they let me in to substitute for someone who was sick. So I got in. I got in the finals. And me and this other person from our school, the only two that, that got in the finals, were in a hotel room. And I am just freaking out in my Woody Allen kind of way. You know, I am just freaking out. I am so anxious. I'm sweating and I'm, I'm drooling. No, I wasn't. But I mean, I was freaked out. And I looked over at my friend and she like had like total peace. And I don't know what that was. I just said, what's going on here? I am freaked out. How come you're not freaked out? And you know what she said? Because Jesus is my Lord, I have peace. That's all she said. That's all she did was declare the praises of the one who called her out of darkness into his wonderful life. That's all she did. And that's all it took. Because I started looking into it. They showed me the scriptures. I started answering my own questions at a certain point. It was just a few months later in March that I gave my life to the Lord. And it was only because this girl who had no idea what she was doing, she was, she was a new Christian herself. She hadn't studied that much. She hadn't, she hadn't gone to Bible school. 
She hadn't gone to training. She hadn't done any of that. All she did was say, I love Jesus and he gave me his peace. Don't you think we can do that? I think we can. I think it's a mistake to look at evangelism in any other way. It is not about arguing. Arguing never works. Proclaiming the goodness of God works. It is the aroma of Christ, as the word says, Paul said. This sweet scent that draws people to what they subconsciously know they need. And that is the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of God to enter into a relationship with the one who created them. And that's how I came to faith in Christ. Now, the the mistake in our current culture is that we focus on this first part, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people belonging to God. We are that, right? Do you guys agree? We are that. But it is a terrible, terrible mistake to leave it there. If you leave it there, you now have a club. That's what clubs do. They get together and they celebrate who they are. That's what clubs do. But this is important. There is a that. There is a that that is an important addition. It is the pivotal hinge to this entire thing. We were saved. We were created. We were loved. We were delivered. That we could declare his praises to this world. And when we don't do that, it becomes a dry life. It becomes an unchallenged life. It becomes a life that doesn't require much faith and our faith gets old and dry. We can't do that. Our church is not about that. If you're here at the adventure and this is a church that you call your home, you need to know that we are about passionate evangelism because God loves people. He loves people. And he has sent his son to set people free. And he has given us the ability that we could declare the praises. Declaring the gospel is the highest declaration of praise. This is a great scripture about evangelism. It's in Philemon. I pray that you be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You know what this says to me? It says that if you're not active in sharing your faith, you are missing out on some of the incredible blessings that God has for you. That's what it says, doesn't it? Vote. Who agrees? And the rest of you, are you sleeping already? (laughs) That's what it says. That's what it says. It says, if you are not active in sharing your faith, and again, I I really want to break the notion that it's all about this person who's like uh, this brainiac. Okay, Eric was a brainiac, right? And we're not talking about Eric here. Eric did a great job at what he did in sharing the gospel. But you're you and I'm me. And we're called to do this. We're called to declare his praises to those around us. Can that be our vocabulary? I think it can. I think it can. Wouldn't that be nice if everything that the entire Christian church put on Facebook was giving glory to God? 
instead of arguing about a point or discussing and complaining about a candidate or somebody else? Come on. I'm being real, right? What if everybody in the church, it was only our one purpose was to proclaim the glory of God to those around us, and we did it with electronics too? What would happen? Could you just see like a giant, I just see like this giant tidal wave. Maybe that's because I'm going to Hawaii in a, in a couple of weeks. But a giant tidal wave of, of praise towards God going out and splashing all over everybody. Wouldn't that be cool? I think it would shut down a lot of stuff that probably doesn't need to be on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. Just praise God. How many are into that? Okay, I'm looking at your Facebook page. Yeah. So right now, we're just going to go into, um, for a few minutes, uh, a story that I think is really important related to this about, about loving people, loving God, loving people. That's our vision. Having passionate evangelism is our vision because it is loving people. And when Jesus talks about loving people, he uses parables a lot of times. We're going to look at this parable. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. So the first part of this parable is the question. I'll read it to you. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who's my neighbor? This is the expert in the law. Who's the expert in the law? He's a person who needs to check boxes in order to feel like everything is okay. This is most people that are into religion. People that are into religion, they need to check the box. I went to church. I gave to somebody on the street that needed money. I did this. I did that. And you check a box. But that's not what a relationship with God is about. We talk about a transformed relationship, that we are in relationship with God, and that changes us, not externally, so we check boxes, but internally, so we now become a different person. That's what it's about. It's the most freeing thing in the world when you realize that. But this person is in a box when it comes to understanding who God is. Because when you're in a box with somebody, this is something I learned not too long ago, when you're in a box with somebody, it's like you're stuck with your point of view about who that person is. And I think a lot of people are stuck in this box that basically says God is a rule maker God is a policeman. God has a ruler that if you, don't, uh, if you don't behave and you don't do what he says, he's gonna smack you with it and discipline you with it. And people are in a box related to God. And that's who this person is. Is that you today? Because there's a lot of people out there that, that do this. There's a lot of people that have guilt in their lives because they think they are not good enough instead of knowing that the grace of God has covered every one of their sins. And so they could just breathe a sigh of relief 
and know that they are accepted by God. You need to know that today. If that's you and religion is the thing that you've been worried about and checking the boxes with God, yes, I'll do this, God. Yes, I'll do that, God. Just to make sure he doesn't strike you dead. Come on, everybody did that at one point in their lives. God wants to set you free from that. Love with all. The scripture talks about that we need to love with all, love with all of our heart, all our mind, all our strength, with all. That's a little, little rush, a little, little bit of a problem, don't you think? I mean, Jesus answers this guy with relationship. He's, there's no way you can do this. There's no way that you could love with all. I mean, the, the reality for me is that, you know, every once in a while, I stumble upon God during my day, and I actually love him at that moment. <laughs> Instead, God is saying, what he is asking us to do is love all the time, in all these ways, all the time, in all these ways, with a mind, heart, strength, all the time, in all those ways. And I can't do that, and I know you can't either. It's impossible to live out without being filled with the Spirit like we talked about last week. If you think in your own self that you are right before God, how many times each day do we fail the all test? Thousands? Tens of thousands? I think so. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that to free you from a bondage of thinking you have to check something the reality is, is we can surrender. Surrender to God. Right now, just say, I surrender to you, God. Lord, I surrender to you and know that I can do nothing in myself. It is all your grace. My works can do nothing. And then, then he talks about the neighbor. Oh, this is a problem because... That is just way too uncomfortable. Too big, too uncomfortable. And, and so this person who knows the law tries to trick and justify himself, trick Jesus and justify himself and says, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? We want to contain this command to what we are comfortable doing, loving our neighbor. Oh, I can love my neighbor. Yeah, I can, I can smile at them when they get out of the car. You know, I could, I could wave to them when they go across the street to get their mail. You know, those are minimal things. You know, you might be doing more, you know. But we, we like to contain this because this is just way out of our comfort zone. Right? I know, I can tell everyone here is uncomfortable. No, I'm kidding. It's way out of our comfort zone to think that our neighbor is not a contained concept, that it can't just be the people that we're comfortable with. It can't just be the people that are like me that I'm nice to. It can't just be the people that love me, I love them. Have you ever chosen to love and care for someone in their brokenness that doesn't love you and maybe actually is angry at you. 
This is where Jesus is going with this. There's nothing here. He's trying to get to a point where he justifies himself and rationalizes himself enough away so that it does not impact his agenda in his life. We all have agendas. We all have things that we think we need to do. But there's only one agenda for God, and it's the scripture we read in Peter. That we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. We could do that in so many different ways. We have this same issue of struggling with God's agenda versus our agenda. But what if we were to just decide that we're going to drop our agenda and just do God's agenda? What does that look like? What does that look like for you? So what's the story? Here was the question, and it was, uh, you know, the, the guy was just trying to, feeling very uncomfortable that this is what he has to do. So now Jesus comes in with a story. He says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of thieves, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down to the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. First of all, let's look at the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It is a dangerous road. It is a road that was very busy. Every Jewish person had to go up to Jerusalem several times a year. And so this road was very busy. And in order, when, when they say up to Jerusalem, that's because Jerusalem is high. It's, where Jericho is to Jerusalem is a 3,500-foot ascent. 3,500 feet. And it was a dangerous place, nicknamed the Bloody Way. The Bloody Way. This is a picture, not just of a road that Jesus was using for this very important parable, but it is a picture of the road that every one of us walk on each and every day if we don't know Christ. It is a dangerous road. It is a road going in the wrong direction. Jerusalem is relationship with God. It's going away from, from that. It is an unsafe place where thieves and robbers come. Notice all of our characters in this story are on this road. And we are on this road too. This is called the road of life. The road of life. So what do we have on this road? We have thieves. We have thieves on this road. Thieves that not just take things, they do a little more. This is what the Bible says about thieves. The thief The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is talking about the devil being the thief. And on this road that we are all on, the thief is there and he is looking. He is looking to take things from you. He's looking to take your joy. He's looking to take your peace. He is looking to take your hope. He is looking to take your life. He is looking to take your future. 
That's what he wants to do. And this is the damage that the enemy does. The path itself is dangerous. But the thief was there to do more than just steal. He destroyed and he left this guy half dead. Just reminds me of the princess bride. (laughs) I could probably imitate that guy if I had a minute, but I'm not going to do it. Stripped and beaten. That's how this man on the road was. Stripped and beaten, half dead. Our lives are spiritually dead without God. They are. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people in my life, and I'm sure they're in your life too, that I've been beaten and left half dead. Do you know somebody like that? I was one of those people. I know a lot of people like that. I have neighbors that have to self-medicate in order to get through the day. I have a friend who we celebrated his marriage not too long ago and, and now less than two years later the relationship is broken. I am sick of people going through this pain on this road and God is too. We have to decide what we're going to do. So there's three travelers. The first traveler is the priest. He's of the highest religious caliber. He's coming from Jerusalem. So he has already sacrificed. He's done his religious duty. He's already checked his box. And now he's coming down and he's going to go hang out where he lives, wherever that is. Isn't it interesting that Jesus used a religious person as an example of bad behavior? He did that many times. There's a reason. Religion without relationship leads to this type of behavior. And then there's the Levite. And the Levite is also a religious person. It's kind of like a good church-going person, right? You're active in ministry. You're doing things, you know, and you're, you come to church. and It's kind of that kind of person, a good church-goer. And then there's the Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan doesn't just delineate a location. A Samaritan is a curse word to Jews, a detestable word among Jews. They loathe the Samaritans. No Jew would ever refer to a Samaritan as being good as in this story, ever. Samaritans enslaved Jews when they had the ability to be able to do it. Samaritans came up with an alternate altar to worship God on. Samaritans were listed as heretics. 
and even equal with the devil in the mind of Jews. Very, very messed up person. Like us, right? It's no coincidence that Jesus is using the Samaritan as the hero in this story. Because he is just like us. So what are the paths? What are the paths that each person took? Because we have the priest, he is the most religious. He, now he has, he's sacrificed and now he's, he's coming down, he's going to the house and he sees far off, he sees this lump on the ground and he, oh no, there's someone else. Someone, some thief beat up and well... I am religious and I do have a duty to do my religious acts and I think I probably don't have time to do anything else but, but just kind of say a prayer for him and I'm going to walk on the other side. And he walked on the other side. Didn't even say he said a prayer. Now the, the Levite, the Levite was a little nicer. He kind of, well, oh, what is this? And he, walked up and he looked at it. Ooh, I'm not equipped to handle this. This is, this is definitely inconvenient too because I do have a schedule. And so he walked on the other side. He walked on the other side. The Samaritan, the most lowly, the most broken, the most rejected, it says, He came to where he was. He came to where he was. This is Jesus Christ. Literally, he came down to him. He came down and he kneeled at this broken man. And he stopped his agenda, whatever that was. No one walks on that road for no reason. He is on that road for a reason. No one walks on a dangerous road for a reason or goes to Oakland, California for a reason. (laughs) Here he is, and he stops everything. This is passionate evangelism right here. This is what it is. And he meets him right where he's at. What does it say about Jesus doing this for us? It says, but he made himself nothing, laying the, uh, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human kindness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here is our example. This is what Christ did, and he calls us to stop and to do the same, to humble ourselves, and become obedient unto death, death to our own agenda, death to our pride, death to our fear, death to our uncomfortableness. Why? The only reason that God would ask us to do that is if what is happening is more desperate and more important than worrying about how we feel. And it is. People are dying. People are being destroyed on this road and they desperately, desperately need our help, the love of God.
the love of God. So let's go on with the rest of the story. The lesson. And when he saw him, the good Samaritan, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for whatever extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked. And the expert in the law, he has no wiggle room now. He is in a corner. And he has to say, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. The Samaritan took pity on this man. He had mercy on him. This is what one of the early popes around the year 500 said about compassion and taking, having pity on people. He who gives outward things gives something external to himself. But he who imparts compassion and tears gives him something from his very self. No doubt the priest and the Levite had their excuses. It's not safe to be lingering here. Besides, he's past recovery. He's half dead. And then maybe people are going to be suspicious that we did this. Nor did he say he's a Jew. This is, this is a Samaritan. He could, have, he could have said also those things and he could have also added to it, this is a Jew who has rejected me and has cast me out and so I will not go to him and help him. And yet he did. He went to him and he helped him. He went to him. He interrupted his life and he went to this man who was half dead. I'm sure he could have come up with a reason why he needed to go to the other side. But he interrupted his agenda and his life to love, to love. And that's passionate evangelism. Will we interrupt our lives, our agendas, to love people and proclaim the greatness of God. Declare his goodness. And he took two coins and committed to this man. And then he said, not only that, I'm going to come back in a couple days. Can we commit to people like this? Do you have someone in your life right now? You know the love of God if you're, if you're a Christian. Do you... Have you committed to someone right now that has been on this road? I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm just going to give you this now and I'm going to come back in a couple days and see how you're doing and I'm going to share more of the goodness of God with you. I say that's what God is saying love is. That is the highest expression of love and he had mercy on him. 
And I just want to encourage you guys, if you know Jesus Christ, it is time to have mercy on those who don't. And, and that means taking action and loving them in every way possible, not judging their actions, which uh, I hate to say it, are similar to yours and mine. But love them and proclaim the greatness of God. Declare his praises to your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Jesus calls us to interrupt our lives. Look at Jesus with the disciples. He says, okay, you're fishing, but now I have something better for you. You're going to be fishers of men. Do you think that was a small change? Do you think that was a big agenda adjustment? I think so. I don't think they had any idea how to do it. They were uneducated people. They maybe knew a little of what the Bible said, the Old Testament said. They were just guys that fished. Everybody fished around the Sea of Galilee. That's all they do. That was the whole economy is fishing. And Jesus said, okay, stop doing this. Stop your agenda and pick up my agenda. This is God's method. He is always calling us to do what, what his agenda is because we know not only are others going to be blessed, but now we are going to have the fullness of the blessing of God in our lives. Every day when you wake up, do you ask or can you ask? Maybe this is a suggestion. Please ask, who is God going to give me as a neighbor to love today? Who is God going to give me? Are we going to walk on the other side of the road when there's so many people in our lives that desperately need the love of Christ? You know, there was a guy that I heard of that he got cured of cancer and because of it, he felt like he wanted to go out and he raised money and he was a pretty influential guy and so he, he raised money, a lot of money for cancer research. And, and a reporter asked him, why do you do this? Because you have so many other things that you could do. And he said, it is the obligation of the cured the obligation of the cured. And I don't say that as a, as a guilt trip. I say that as a reality. The cross of Christ is a cure that we have, and we also have access to give to others. How can we not have mercy and speak to those around us, serve those around us, love those around us in a way that they can receive that as well? Are we going to walk on the other side of the road or are we going to get on our knees before those that have a desperate need and proclaim and declare the praises of God? That's the question. That's the question. It's very uncomfortable to do that. It's uncomfortable to ask the question. But we need to imagine Imagine if everybody in this room decided, I am going to put down my agenda. I am going to put down any uncomfortableness I might have. And everyone 
feels uncomfortable when they do this. Very rare people. It's very rare that people don't. I'm going to put down my uncomfortableness. I'm going to put down my agenda. And I am going to look for opportunities to declare God's goodness to people around me. Spectacular. Can we do that? If that's something, and honestly, I, I, I would love it if the people that only stood right now and made this decision are the people that really are deciding in their hearts with the Lord. I'm going to do that. I want to start doing that. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means you're asking God to help you understand what it's like to declare his praises and to drop your agenda and pick up his. If that's you, would you stand up, please? Hallelujah. Lord, we just come before you right now. For each of us, Lord, we are so thankful. I just think of the woman who washed your feet with her tears and worshipped you in such a lavish way, a crazy way, a crazy way. And you said, he who is forgiven much loves much. And I just pray, God, that everyone here would recognize if they have come to the cross and asked the cross to be applied to their list of sins, that they would know how much they have been forgiven for. So very many sins. So much. And the wages of sin is death. We know that all it was doing was sowing death into our life on this road that we are walking on. And, we, and things are being stolen from us. And we are being beaten. And we are being left half dead. But you have something for us, God. And that is the grace of God, God's unmerited favor, his love for us, He took our sins upon himself on the cross that we could be forgiven. And now we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Thank you, God. Can you just thank God for that? Thank you, God that I am your daughter, your son, your child. That we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Lord, we declare your praises now. We declare the goodness of God. This is a good time to practice, folks. Let's, Let's declare his goodness Do you have something you want to declare about the goodness of God in your life? Has he saved you? Has he forgiven you? Has he filled you with his Holy Spirit? Has he given you hope? Has he given you peace? Has he healed your mind and your soul? Declare it right now to God. God, I thank you. I worship you, God. You are an awesome God. And I declare your goodness. Lord, I commit to not only declare your goodness in this congregation. But Lord, I I commit to declare your goodness to those that don't know it yet, that they would come to know it, that they would be set free and healed and made whole by your love. 
like we have been. We love you, God. Before we're done praying, I just want to give you an opportunity. If, if you have not had an opportunity to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to, and to bring you into this incredible relationship that we're talking about, where we are free to love and not free to have fear, free to be forgiven of our sins, and not live a religious life wondering when God is going to step on us next like a bug. Maybe that's you today, or maybe you've been struggling with your walk with the Lord, and you've been kind of in and out and walking away, and now God is saying, come back to me. I have something so much better for you. And if that's you, while people are praying right now, I just want to know who God is speaking to right now. Could you just raise your hand if that's you? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see those hands. That's awesome. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're going to just do this together in solidarity with those that are raising their hands right now and those that God is speaking to. Can we together just repeat a prayer of life and a prayer of thanksgiveness to God? Just repeat after me. Dear Savior, I come to you and know that I need you. I need forgiveness. I need your grace. I ask that you forgive me and fill me with your spirit that I could be your child and I could declare your praises. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. And I give you all of myself. I choose to not walk on the other side of the road, but to come to those just like me that desperately need mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.